dream is so beautiful, you know. Come play. The page dynasty is the newest rage. Maybe you've played, maybe you've made a trade. Played list, and now these fish are all up on ya. I mean, you won three ships, they wish they had your So, this is it. You wanna learn the game. 101 pick when it hits, you feel no pain. Praying for the fantasy championship. Hit the books, kid. Read this pamphlet called the Owner's Manual. It's automatic D- dynasty. It, it's automatic owner's manual. It, it, it's automatic D- dynasty. It, it's automatic. <laughs> and here are your authors: Chris Allen and A- A- Adam Wildy. All right, everybody, and welcome back. This is episode one of season two of the Dynasty Owners Manual podcast. I'm Chris Allen at Chris Allen FFWX. And I'm Adam Wildy at AP Wildy. And before we get the manual started, let's get into our foreword. First, I'm extremely excited to announce that Brad Reyes will be running the best ball owners manual. So keep an eye out for that coming soon. Andrew and Dwight have been doing their thing uh, with the Debbie Owner's Manual. They're going to be coming out twice a month. Lastly, we have T-shirts available at FF underscore Outfitters, created by Justin Barlow, who we're sitting down with next week, who recently joined DTC, Dynasty Trade Calculator, who we'll be promoting today. Yeah, and we'll definitely need to have a quick conversation about the calculator itself. And I'm sure that will most likely come up through our conversations here uh, with Brian tonight. But, of course, let's go ahead and just hop right into the manual itself with our guest here. We've got Brian Malone with us from Dynasty Command Center. Uh, if you've heard of him, uh, spoken with him, or even just follow him on Twitter, you know that uh, the analytical approach to most of what uh, most of the content that Brian has put out has been very interesting. And we happen to just uh, catch it. Uh, I caught an eye on the cohort report that he just recently put out. So, of course, we wanted to sit down with Brian and talk with him this evening about it. So, Brian, of course, first and foremost, thank you for sitting down with us tonight. And uh, let's hop right into it, man. Like, what, what is this cohort report that you have available to, for the community? Wait, you guys don't want to talk about Julian Edelman's Hall of Fame credentials first? Oh, I mean, um. we can definitely talk about that. I mean, I would love to go back and forth over you know, why he is so deserving of being in the Hall of Fame for producing mediocre regular season statistics. But just because he's good over a three-game sample during the playoffs, I mean, uh, of course he belongs in the Hall of Fame. I mean, let's let's talk about him versus uh, Dwayne Bowe. I mean, I, I mean, if we're if that's what we're doing, I mean, if we're comparing cumulative stats, I mean, I think Dwayne Bowe has a has a shot at the Hall of Fame as well. And PEDs are fake news, anyways. Exactly, exactly. So I, I think that's a that's a wonderful conversation that I've been seeing kicking around on Twitter <laughs> that does not make me roll my eyes at all. Yeah. So to get back to your original question, the cohort report it's basically over a hundred tables, and it just looks at players' age, production, career production to date on like a per game basis, year by year, and draft position. And it's just a nice, color-coded, really clean, easy-to-look-at way to visualize a player's career. But the other thing it does is it pulls a bunch of uh, historical players, everybody drafted since 1985, who've had similar career arcs to date. And then there's a little red line, and then you get to see what everybody else did going forward. So if you've got 
um, carry on Johnson, you've got his table, you've got a bunch of guys who had careers like, you know, had rookie years like him at a similar age with a similar draft position. And then it shows their whole careers going forward. And it gives you a nice range of possibilities for every player. And, and there's like over 150 players um, just trying to hit all the dynasty relevant guys. I guess the easiest question would be, what was the impetus for putting something like this together? Because with all the data that I'm seeing here, I mean, how did you, why did you feel the need to put all of this, all this into it? And then I guess put it in such a visual in order to make it, I guess, digestible for the readers. I mean, what, how did you come up with this process? Yeah. So, I mean, I've always been a fan, like Rotoviz does some stuff where comparing a player versus historical counterparts to give a nice range of possibilities, but they only go back one year. And I wanted to see, you know, if a guy's had back-to-back top 12 seasons at age 26, what does that mean? And I just think of fantasy football, especially dynasty, as a game of probability, like conditional probability. So given what we know about a guy, what's his likeliest outcome and what are all the other outcomes and how do you work them together? And the, the cohort report doesn't have everything, so it doesn't have size, it doesn't have coaching situation or anything like that, but it has the most important things to me, which are age and production, and then the making it so visually appealing is so that I've done all the work. I don't want the reader to have to do much work. I want them to be able to look and say like, you know, Oh geez, Kenny Galladay, this doesn't look as good as I would have expected. And you can quickly compare him to somebody like Jarvis Landry, just by seeing the color on the other side of the red line, you know, that Landry's range of outcomes looks a little bit better than Kenny Galladay's, for example. And that's pretty interesting. I mean, trying to look at, I guess, not necessarily forecasting, but at least trying to look at, as you mentioned, the, the range of outcomes. And I think when it comes to fantasy football, that's very much how we try and gauge a player's values. Like, what are the most likely range of outcomes when we're looking at different players? So from this, I guess, what are some of the main takeaways that you see people getting from reading through the report? Well, the things, I mean, so the two things I think it's useful for, number one is just if, you know, you're going through a startup and you're torn between two guys, you just go take a quick look at them and kind of use it as a tiebreaker. Um, the other thing is in trade. So, like, one thing I've been working on right now is seeing two guys who have similar age production profiles going forward but are valued very differently in trades. And so I can, you know, kind of use that as, like, not quite an arbitrage play, but that's what uh, a lot of people in the fantasy community call it. You know, trade this guy for the other one in a 2019 first and make a little profit that way. All right, Brian. So now that we know what the cohort report is, let's cover as many possible outcomes in uh, rapid succession. We'll dig in here. Basically, overall, what were the trends present which particularly piqued your interest? Uh, It could be by position or otherwise. Yeah, so I've always been a wide receiver guy, and looking at this, it made me appreciate the young stud running backs a little bit more. Um, They have a really good, you know, really solid foundation, and, like, there's just not that many busts. Like, we think about the Trent Richardsons, but if you've got somebody like Saquon Barkley, if you put together a top-six rookie season at any age, you're not a lock, but, I mean, you're really close to a lock. Sure. For multiple years of top six production, and to do it at age 21 is just insane. And that matches my philosophy a lot when I'm building a team from startup one. I usually like to go with the older proven wide receivers that we don't have to wait on the uh, Christian Kirks to break out. I'd prefer to buy the A.J. Greens and the Julio Jones and then take those young running backs because, as we'll talk about a little bit later, there's a lot that factors into a running back success other than being good at playing running back, right? Yeah, absolutely. 
we know situation matters. 100%. And then I guess to kind of piggyback off of what Adam's discussing here, there's another player that I see in the report here that at least I wanted to discuss both his talent and his situation since you just mentioned that, Brian. Like, I see Juju Smith-Schuster here in the report. Now, given what he has been able to produce so far in the league, given the Antonio Brown, we'll just call it a mess to, to keep it short and simple, uh, but... I mean, given what you've been able to do with the cohort report and also given the, I guess, the current news and whatnot, I guess, how would you look at look at Juju Smith-Schuster as a dynasty asset going forward? You know, I have him, I acquired him a bunch last season um, based on based on his age 21 season, based on his table that, you know, there was no cohort report, but it was the same thing. And uh, I've had a really hard time. People have been coming hard after him, and I just can't let him go. I have him just outside that top tier of wide receivers, so he's in the easily in the top twelve wide receivers. And Antonio Brown leaving, I, I don't think that hurts him. I'm not sure so much that it helps him, but I don't think it hurts him. My only real concern is Ben's age and flirtation with retirement. Seemingly every off season, that gives me a little pause. But otherwise, you know, people who have the first couple of seasons like him starting at age 21, they just, they go on to do well. And fortunately for a player like Juju, he creates quite a bit of separation. So as you, I acquired him quite a bit last year and I'm a little okay with Ben leaving soon, you know, hopefully not next year, but soon because Juju creates so much separation. So, you know, whoever is the successor there is going to rely heavily on Juju separation so that they can avoid those tight window throws throws uh, early on in their career yeah i think the only the the real risk is if he just gets a complete disaster at quarterback sure and, you know Absolutely. there's a 10 or 20 percent chance of that happening anytime you you lose a, an established starter Absolutely. And I guess just for real quick, I guess my, my final question, or I guess my final example that I really wanted to hit on, because I, I don't know what to do with this particular player. I don't know, I don't know what to do with the team in general. And it's Corey Davis of the Tennessee Titans. Uh, I, I do not know what to do with that entire offense after there was so much hype surrounding the team situation. They get one of Sean McVay's boys, uh, you know, coming in and Matt LaFleur. Uh, we're, we're thinking that this is going to be a, you know, a, a breakout season for them, and it is absolutely not. So I guess moving forward and seeing what Corey Davis has been able to do, what does the cohort report tell you about how we should value him moving forward as well? Yeah, so he's kind of the opposite of Juju. I dumped him everywhere I had him last offseason um, because rookie production matters to me. And, I, you know, there were all kinds of reasons to explain it away. He had injury. He had bad quarterback play. And that, that was all legitimate. But, you know, you were basically getting the same price last offseason that you got after his rookie season. Now, after, I mean, he put together a pretty respectable second season, especially considering everything that was going on there. So I'm leaning towards him more as a hold now. Um, it's tough, but you, like his his situation can't get worse. So he's he was a low end wide receiver two, high end wide receiver three per game basis, and it's not getting worse. So you know you you get him at that price for a young guy like that, and then hope that eventually something hits. I think is the the play there. He's kind of got to be a hold. It seems like for me because we did all of the scouting prior to his rookie season and you knew that he was going to be a phenomenal athlete and he just he hasn't had a perfect situation lineup for him yet and we thought we were going to get that when we got low floor 
but let's just hope that Marcus Mariota gets healthy over the offseason and we can see everything mesh at the same time. I don't think that I could buy him. I mean, um, we know how tw- crazy Twitter polls can be, but uh, somebody tweeted, would it be crazy to uh, get the 107 for Corey Davis? I thought that he might be worth probably right at the 107, and a lot of people thought he was worth more. There's no way that I could give more than the 107. Um if only for the fact that I could get much better players for the 106. Let's not even talk about who I'd get at the 106. Come draft time, I would get a way better player than Corey Davis at the 106. There wouldn't be much point in that for me. But like you mentioned, rookie seasons matter to you, and especially at wide receiver for me. So uh, we have a little example here that we put together um, to kind of utilize the cohort report and see how we're really supposed to use this thing. So, DeAndre Hopkins and DJ Moore were both drafted in the mid-20s in the NFL draft. Um, Hopkins was wide receiver 57 in his age 21 season. Moore was the wide receiver 49 in his 21 season. Hopkins was the wide receiver 18 in his 22-year-old season. Um, Is this predictive whatsoever for uh, an outcome for DJ Moore next season? Well, yeah, I mean, so whatsoever, yes, there's some predictive value in it. Um, so that's, you know, the nice thing about the report is it gives you that range of pos- possibilities. And Hopkins, you know, would be an outstanding outcome for more, but there's a lot of misses who had similar age 21 seasons. The other thing that we haven't mentioned yet is you can look, so DJ Moore, you know, had a, you know, wide receiver four, wide receiver five season his rookie year at age 21. But you can also compare him, so Christian Kirk's in here, and he did the exact same thing at age 22 with very similar draft position. So his cohort is almost the same, except it has age 22 guys in it. Okay. And just because of sample size and you know, variance, his his results look a lot better. So I think for those two guys, you should probably mesh them together and look at both their co- cohorts together. And it makes things a little more optimistic for DJ Moore. But the the bigger picture is, you know, it's easy to say, oh, well, this is what DeAndre Hopkins did, and we can look back two years and say that DJ Moore is going to follow the same path. But then you have to look and say, well, yeah, but what about Kenny Britt? What about Jeremy Macklin? What about, you know, Redale Anthony, who did absolutely nothing after having a very similar draft position in age 21 season? So you have to take all that together, and this lets you do it very quickly just with a glance and say, all right, now I have a rough idea of what his weighted probability is. Yeah, that's absolutely a great point. You really have to look at the the whole picture. But what was really interesting is what you said about Christian Kirk comparing well to DJ Moore on the cohort report. And this has a lot to do with you mentioning you're chewing it up, swirling it around, and vomiting it. I read at the beginning of the cohort report, well, this is what you do with it. Christian Kirk looked very similar to DJ Moore. DJ Moore is much more expensive than Christian Kirk, at least in my opinion. I don't know if the two of you agree, but I would much rather DJ Moore if I wasn't looking at the cohort report, but if we took the names away and saw that Christian Kirk just happened to do it in his 22 year old season, uh, DJ Moore came in a year younger, you know, what's stopping you from taking DJ Moore, who I would probably value around the one Oh six and flipping it for Christian Kirk plus a little. Yeah, that's true. And actually just going through, uh, pulling up dynasty or DLF's, uh, rankings as of right now, they have, DJ Moore listed at 35 or 35th overall uh, in their rankings, and Christian Kirk is all the way down at 60. And if you're worried about Cam's shoulder surgery, that's not a terrible idea right now. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, so yeah. you're in the third round of a startup, you trade back to the end of the fifth round, and you get a pretty comparable player. And now, it's always better to do, to, you know, to have that production at age 21 than age 22, mm-hmm. but it's probably not that big of a difference. Especially right. when it's considering the rookie seasons. I mean, they weren't the same age when they came out. We're not talking about a sophomore and a, and a rookie. So, I mean, we'd even have to, we could pull up their birthdays if we wanted to. So, really, on paper, it looks a lot different, but... If we dug into it, I bet you it's really not as different as we think. And they're kind of trending in different directions, even though I think DJ Moore is a far superior wide receiver. I think from a talent perspective, I think that's fair. And I guess given – and also the other thing that you could take and use as a knock against Christian Kirk is also the the broken foot that we're still yet to get mm-hmm. at least a, a ton of information on. Like I haven't heard anything. The last I heard in – I think it was middle December when he was having the foot surgery and whatnot, but we really haven't heard anything past that. I guess we can assume that everything's going to be fine, but – I guess nagging injuries and foot injuries like that. I mean, we've seen in the past how they can kind of creep up like towards the middle of the season and whatnot. So it could hamper at least a short-term value. Long-term, who knows how things can turn out. Yeah, I mean, Sammy Watkins, you know, you've got an example there of everybody thought, you know, he was great. He just had that foot injury for one season, and then it just never got there so far. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Visibly uh, limping in the NFL playoffs this year. Yeah. Yeah. Chiefs fans are holding out hope that maybe he can you know, hold up for another season, assuming he's still with the team. At least they have Calvin Benjamin if Sammy Watkins doesn't pan out. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> so moving on, I mean, from that particular example, uh, so if you're looking at players like we just discussed when we were talking about Christian Kirk, we were talking about DJ Moore, uh, we're talking about some of these guys where we, we have an understanding of the of the talent either from a – uh, from a collegiate perspective, and now we've seen them in the NFL for a year. Uh, but what about how do you handle some of the outliers, like players like Bobby Woods, like who changed teams, like where we uh, a lot of folks like kind of left him for dead when he was in Buffalo, but now he transfers to the Rams and was all of well, let's say sixty minutes away from winning a Super Bowl ring. So how does how does the cohort report look into players that follow that type of career path? So. It doesn't really. I mean, that's where you have to kind of use your intuition. And I had to use my intuition a little bit when creating it. So I only looked at Woods's past two seasons because those are the most meaningful to him. Well, no, I, I looked at past three, but that was mostly so I could get, you know, a little bit more sample size for the cohort. Um, but that's where, you know, I, in compiling all this stuff, there's a little bit of subjectivity to it. So I wanted to look at his most recent production because that's what we, you know, we think is going to happen going forward. He's not going to be stuck in Buffalo going forward. But that's where, you know, this is a limited tool. This is giving you a base rate, and then you have to use your understanding of the game and understanding of situations to adjust accordingly. Like Damian Williams, you know, is a more extreme example. Like if you go to his report, it's it's like god awful, right? Because you know he's age twenty six and he's done nothing in his NFL career. But everyone knows there's you know some realistic possibility that he's gonna be the starting running back for the chiefs next year which makes him extremely valuable i guess that brings up a topic that has been circling the dynasty community for the past couple of weeks now and i wanted to get you guys's take on it i mean me personally i would love to buy as much damien williams as possible given the, his current situation but i've heard the complete opposite i've heard folks that want to be completely out of him or are trying to sell him as, as quickly as they can get rid of him so at least wanted to get your take as to where you guys fall on damien williams i mean given the contract situation we've still got spencer Ware there even though i think he's set to be a free agent this uh, this coming season so i guess how are you guys approaching that particular situation like with damien williams 
So I'm on the sell side of that. Mostly because, well, here, I'll put it this way. I'm on the sell side of that if I can get some of the prices that I've seen him go for. If I can get anything in the 107, 108 range, you know, so I'm not a talent scout. First of all, let me say that. So I don't know if you liked Damian Williams beforehand and now he's got this possibility to be in a great situation, then you know what? Then absolutely you should lock onto him. I'm not like, that's not my thing. So I'm looking at somebody who's going to be 27 next year and who has bounced around the league and never gotten a shot. And to me that says, you know, maybe he's not all that great. And, you know, even if he, even if the chiefs aren't actively looking to replace him, he's replaceable. And so something, you know, very well could happen. Maybe it's six weeks, maybe it's two years. If it's two years, then you got plenty of value for him. But if it's halfway through next season, you don't even get the playoffs out of him. Then you just wasted a mid first pick. And that's even, you know, I picked him up on waivers, but I think of that as opportunity cost. If I can get a 107 for him, then he's worth the 107 to me. I can't think of him as a waiver wire ad anymore. Absolutely. Once they're on your team, they're worth what they're worth. Um, I thought about this long and hard last year, and it's because I've missed the bus quite a few times on players because I've just waited to see. And what it's taught me as a dynasty owner is that uh, it's better be earlier than late because you can always get something back for a player, almost always. I mean, if they retire or just get a gruesome injury, you're obviously not going to get anything back. But at the end of the day, every, every player's got a value. So what was the uh, harm in sending maybe a late second for Damian Williams? The approach I took is this. I'm not going to get him everywhere because some people are going to ask something ridiculous. He had those two amazing weeks at the time. I am going to get him on teams that I'm contending because I can use that as leverage. So the teams that I can was contending in, I, I went after him hard because it made sense for the other owners to move him at the time. I ended up getting him for a third on one contending team, and really the discussion was easy. It was just, hey, I want to win the championship, and you're rebuilding. You're not going to use Damian Williams, and – He's probably not going to be the running back next year, yada, yada. And then you acquired him for the third, and now you can flip him for the 107 or whatever it's going for, like Brian alluded to. So he was just a player I didn't want to miss the bus one. It had happened to me too many times in the past, and it seems to be panning out. I don't think any of my costs were too much more than a third, and I think all three leagues I got him in were teams that were rebuilding that really didn't have a need for Damian Williams. So – they flipped for their profit too. They just didn't exactly hold out for heavy enough profit. And I think that's I think that's fair. And I think Brian, your approach and what also you alluded to, Adam, I think is the proper approach is while you don't have to be completely out on Damian Williams, it's also just understanding the value that a sell or selling Damian Williams can get you back in return. So if you can swing one of those deals where you are getting uh, a mid first like out of the deal uh, then, then sure, go ahead and pull the trigger. But I think now at this point, with his value, I would think it's it's almost like at its peak at this point. I think that now would be the kind of the time to you know kind of throw out those offers and see what you can get for him. So I think that's the proper approach. So moving on, like from that, and again, thanks, thank you both for your takes on that. Uh, looking at a specific situation, Devonta Freeman. So in the report, I was wondering, uh, so why did you find uh, Devonta Freeman like so particularly interesting, like in the cohort report? So he's a couple of things. So I think number one, he's still, he's still fairly young. It's, it's hard for people to like remember that because he's been in the league so long. He came in early and, you know, had that terrible season, but he's put together a few, but he's, you know, he's the same age as Damian Williams basically. 
And he has three top 12 seasons under his belt and Williams has none. So he, he profiles really well, you know, well, so coming into last season, he profiled really well. Like you expected one or two more top six, top 12 seasons out of him. And then maybe an RB two season out of him, which if at the price he's going for now, you would take that any day of the week. It's a little weird because he's got an injury. So on the report, you just have like this little empty space with him. Everybody else is the age 25 group, but he's actually age 26. So you got to think of him as basically what I, what I think of when I look at that is I just wipe out everybody else's age 26 season and look at them going forward. And even doing that, even looking at age 27 forward, I think he's still a buy because he's way down in the running back ranks. I, you'd have to tell me his exact ADP, but nobody seems to want him. And his injury last season was not something that's likely to linger. I know he's got concussion issues, but that's been the case all along. And again, his situation should only get better. Tevin Coleman is likely gone, or if not, then it's status quo. But he's, you know, when I think about situation, I don't think about it in absolutes. I think about what's likely to change in which direction. And his situation seems to be only getting better. And Ida looked good, but he profiles as more of a change of pace. He's not going to really take Tevin Coleman's role. You alluded to him missing some time with an injury. I was wondering if you could hit on how the cohort kind of handles injuries because uh, is there a game restriction for for uh, each year? Yeah, so you have to play a minimum of eight games to qualify. And the idea there is you just want a decent enough sample size. Like you don't want – Julio Jones had a season early on where he played like three games and averaged 25 points per game. And, you know, you don't want something like that to muck everything up. So I just figured eight games was a decent enough sample size. And almost everybody plays more than eight games, but that's just, the you know, there has to be some kind of arbitrary line. That's the line I drew. So when you brought up Devontae Freeman in our chat when we were discussing back and forth some players, I was kind of upset about it because I wanted to go buy him more. It just doesn't make sense to me. He was profiled to do so well, as you mentioned, and we all kind of, figured yeah he's probably going to be top 12 the next couple years that wouldn't have surprised anybody but Tevin Coleman was there at the time and we were profiling him as top 12 well he missed the season and Tevin Coleman didn't even do very well they get rid of Sarkeesian and now there's no excitement it just doesn't make sense to me so that kind of brings me to this question I'm constantly battling with um, and it stems with DJ I love David Johnson, but uh, so what do you think matters more to the running back position? Would you say it's their age or their touches or their wear and tear? Uh, that's a hard question. There's very little data on that, but I'm going to go with age. Like we know age matters, right? Like you, you, you see it like every year, Adam Harstad's got some really good writing on this. Like every year is a coin flip basically. And well, or it's, you know, a weighted coin flip and early in your career, it's like 90% chance you survive. When you get to age 31, it's like 20% chance you survive. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe touches have something to do with, like, it kind of makes sense from an intuitive perspective, but I, I just haven't seen the data on it. And you would think it, it's out there. Like, we have enough players, we have enough games that if that were accurate, you would have seen somebody do a good study on it, and I just haven't seen it. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I, I'm definitely in the minority here, and um, the data would – support age i think the person that we need to uh settle the argument is actually a doctor and i don't think we're ever going to get any doctors in here <laughs> but uh, well we might but, but to me it just seems like it, if a running back take gj's uh situation sat out all year with a uh, offhand wrist injury 
um, and got to work out the rest of his body the entire season that they'd come back stronger. And who knows if he would have or not because uh, the offense was so horrendous. But uh, nonetheless, I believe that Devonta Freeman has plenty of tread on his tires and just has a phenomenal, phenomenal situation coming into next season. If you're thinking of it as like just next year, then I can see how the time off might help somebody. But if you're thinking of career longevity and like total touches, that's where I'm. That's where I start to think like, you know, maybe, but I, I'm not going to factor it in very much because I just haven't seen any evidence of it. But yeah, I think there's something to being fresh. No, and I think that's fair. I mean, because especially in that particular situation, I guess uh, for David Johnson's situation, to me, it would almost indicate more of a hold situation than a hold or sell situation versus a, a situation I would want to invest in. So I think for most David Johnson owners, I think a lot of them are looking at their looking at their rosters and saying like, all right, well, even with uh, DJ's situation, you might not, uh, depending on what you can get for him, you might want to sell. But at the very least, I think he represents one of those hold uh, hold situations at the very least because of what he can do. And even with his age, we know that at least for in the short term, being able to take that year off should allow him at least to get through the 2019 season. But in probably the 2020 season as well, but past that, it's like, okay, well, I don't know if that really be something I would continue to bank on that, you know, that one year missed is something that I would have continued to bank on, like going forward afterwards. So but, just something to keep in mind. But that's actually an interesting point because when we talked to Ryan McDowell, remember about the ADP, um, we noticed that the younger running backs really didn't decline in ADP much yet. Devonte Freeman has dramatically, um, remember we talked to Dalvin Cook and we talked to David Johnson and mm-hmm. David Johnson went from like eight to six. I think he went up for a portion of time given the months that we selected and uh, Dalvin Cook didn't budge much either. Now Dalvin Cook has, but Dalvin Cook did not budge because of his injury. He started moving as the incoming rookies started to surpass those 26, 2017 guys. So really I wonder, Brian, if the cohort report could really touch on that whatsoever from the running back position. I, I mean, there's no ADP section, but it feels like I could look at the cohort report and kind of tell that these running backs aren't going to lose value even though they lost some time given the career trajectory of other running backs. Basically, I'm saying that if other running backs didn't really lose value over time and they were still able to produce after injury, maybe we should weigh that in less for the running back position. Yeah, that'd be a good one to study. I'm, I was kind of looking for So I was thinking about David Johnson because somebody brought up on Twitter the other day about pass-catching running backs, and I think he certainly qualifies for that. And Jeremy Funk has written about this, and he said that um, like he's an, he's an epidemiologist. So he's not a doctor, right. but he's probably actually better than a doctor for this purpose. And he's, he found that pass-catching running backs tend to have more injuries but less fewer long-term injuries. So I think that they're basically, you know, they're more like wide receivers. You know, wide receivers, they get the soft t- tissue injuries and stuff, but they have fewer devastating injuries. So mm-hmm. I don't, that was just, sorry, that was just back to what the earlier discussion. But, yeah, that'd be something useful, especially going forward. You know, it's weird about who gets the injury ding and who doesn't. I think it's just about how much we as a community like a player, and that can go sometimes all the way back to pre-draft evaluations and how much, you know, talent they have and, and, uh, you know, just how much we latched on to somebody. And Devonta Freeman has never been a liked guy. Like, you know, at, even after he was RB1 overall, 
he just never had that fanfare behind him. So I'm not surprised that he saw the big injury ding. I wonder, like, given this, given our current conversation, I wonder if fast forward a year or maybe even two seasons, let's say, if either Sony Michelle or Nick Chubb start to decline and people then just immediately go back to their injury history and say, oh, okay, well, like, we, we could see this coming, you know, and try and retrofit some of that into why a player begins to decline or doesn't perform to our expectations. Because right now, I mean, well, Sonny Michelle obviously is, has already, you know, been bit by the injury bug. And we could see any lingering or lasting effects off of that come the 2019 season. But Nick Chubb, I mean, looked great. But then again, if anything were to happen or any compensatory injuries or something like that uh, were to happen next year, I'm wondering then if that's when people will start to start to um, fit those narratives into his value. Now, that's interesting, and that's going to go kind of more towards uh, Brian's likability. You could just lump injuries into the likability because let's just say we don't like a player because they're injured. And not that we don't like them as a person, but we don't like that player because they're quote-unquote injury prone. So what's going to happen with those guys, and I think I could probably prove this with uh, some ADP data, is that they're going to go up because Sony Michelle looked good in the Super Bowl or uh, because Nick Chubb looks great next to Baker and he's got no competition for touches, whether or not they use David uh, Duke Johnson this year, we'll see. But those guys looked good, so they're going to go up in ADP. What's going to happen is they're going to drop dramatically. If any injury pertaining to knee for both of them, correct? happens again or even a lower body injury honestly a lot of people don't even seem to be educated on the type of injury uh that's why we had the deal with the keenan allen injury prone label for so long because injury is an injury to most people which doesn't make any sense but to your question they'll keep going up and people will keep pretending that the injuries aren't a thing until the injuries are a thing and then it's going to turn into a widespread i told you so by all the people that valued them so highly when they were producing. Yeah, it's funny. So I'm still in the, so I think there's kind of two, you know, camps, well, there's many camps in dynasty Twitter and the dynasty community. So for people who are really into Debbie, I think that's more likely to factor in for guys like Chubb and Michelle, but for the mainstream dynasty community, there's this like phenomenon where if it, if an injury happened in college, it didn't matter. Like it doesn't actually factor in and they only think about NFL injuries. I, it's just this weird thing. So I think depending on how sharp your league is, they are going to, it's going to vary on that front. Now, Brian, before we move on to Aaron Jones, I think it was you and I that swapped Julio Jones and David Johnson twice, right? Yes, absolutely was. I don't yeah. even remember who ended up. I think I ended up, with Julio again? I don't even remember. Yeah, you have Julio again. I got David Johnson back. Yeah, so Brian's league was the first league that I got back into after I was on uh, deployment. I had to drop all my leagues, and Brian needed a, a league mate. So I uh, I volunteered, and I got chosen. <laughs> but uh, now we're moving on to Aaron Jones because he's interesting to me. I've always liked his talent, but – uh, as we discussed at the beginning, opportunity weighs heavily, especially at the running back position. He wasn't getting the opportunity, even though I think he was far superior, superior to Jamal Williams. On any note, uh, his ADP has risen dramatically as he saw the increase in usage, as it should have. But uh, even though there's a new coaching staff arriving, his ADP doesn't seem to be dropping, even though the uncertainty is why he wasn't 
that high in ADP in the first place. Do you have any takes on why the cohort report might hate Aaron Jones? <laughs> <laughs> so relative to price. So I think part of it is the, you know, the cohort report is talent agnostic. And, you know, like I said, I'm no talent scout, but everyone whom I respect, well, not everyone, but, you know, of the people whom I respect, like Aaron Jones was a very popular choice, you know, relative to his draft position, like relative to everything else. Everyone's like, just give this guy a chance. He's going to shine. He's going to shine. He's going to shine. And, you know, that happened to to an extent, but you can compare him to someone like Kenyon Drake of the same age. They had very similar fantasy production. And Kenyon Drake was a huge bust. And Aaron Jones, everybody's like champing at the bit for him to, you know, come back next season. And, you know, so that's where I tend to be. I'm not trading Aaron Jones for Kenyon Drake, but I am trying to trade Aaron Jones for Kenyon Drake in a first because objectively, you know, like, well, I shouldn't say objectively speaking, just looking at the numbers, they should project pretty similarly. And I'm, I'm going to be talent agnostic about that. And I'm going to miss on some guys for that reason. But if I do high volume moves like that, then I think I'm going to end up coming out ahead. And so moving on, I mean, that's, I mean, that's a wonderful situation actually uh, to think about some more because I never really even thought about the comparison between those two players. But then now that you think about it, I mean, that absolutely makes sense. Uh, but looking at, uh, also looking at the cohort report. Uh, so what do you think about Hunter Henry, like going forward, like based off of what you've seen, like working with the report? He's another one like Devonta Freeman who had the uh, injury situation. So he's going to be in like the younger group, but it looks pretty good. Like his, his hype last off season was probably justified. And unfortunately I don't think you're getting much of an injury discount on him from what I've seen. Uh, maybe, you know what? I have to go back and look at that, but yeah, he projects out pretty well. Like you should get a couple top 12 seasons from him and maybe, you know, maybe a little bit more. And I think that's probably about the price you're paying. So it's probably about right. So yeah, I like him going forward in, t- in tight end premium. You know, he's a target in non-tight end premium. That that range of guys is you know whatever. I'll take the last one, but he seems like a good bet going forward. What do you guys think about him? Now my situation on Hunter Henry is that I I didn't like him that much ever anyways, but that was before tight end became such an important position, which I think it did last year for a lot of time. For a lot of the time. You were able to ignore the tight end position. You would just throw somebody out there, and they would do okay for you. But I think a lot of people lost their leagues last year because they did not have a viable tight end. Now, the thing is you were able to stream tight ends, and you will always be able to stream tight ends, but that doesn't mean you're going to hit. And it's just gotten so much more valuable to have that tight end in your lineup that you don't have to worry about them getting you at least six to eight points. Now, the problem is kind of how you alluded to is that Hunter Henry – didn't really go down in price that much from what I've seen either. I'm going to go ahead and chalk that up to the fact that 6 to 10 in Dynasty tight end rankings is kind of a jumbled mess. So he's the popular name. You wanted Hunter Henry to do so well because he was kind of the Dynasty darling at tight end. He was he was the Evan Ingram before there was Evan Ingram where it's like this is the guy that's going to take over amongst the young guys. And – uh since he got the injury and everything, he's just the popular name. So I don't think that his price went down very much because he's still easy to slot in at like tight end six, you know, maybe ahead of OJ Howard, maybe ahead of Njoku, some of those guys uh, behind Kittle, Ingram, Ertz. 
he's too expensive really for me to try to invest in because even if you do get those two top 12 seasons, well, you probably could have found a cheaper option to get a couple top 12 seasons out of. I'm not so sure that he's going to give us the two top six seasons that I think you're paying for. Yeah, and I think that's kind of where I fall at because if I had to look at, at least from a value perspective, give me O.J. Howard. Like with the way, at least from talking with uh, other folks and, and looking at some of the trades that I've seen go down, like I could, I would see them at a similar, uh, I could project them for similar, uh, I guess for similar points or for similar like finishes and tight end rankings. But O.J. Howard seems to be coming at something of a discount, where which I don't, I'm not particularly sure I understand how that's possible. But I think it's more of, I guess, where that offense is going in general. And I think we'll, we're going to talk about uh, Jameis here in just a, just a few minutes and looking at the quarterback situation. But just looking at that offense as a whole, I mean, given the coaching changes, uh, looking at like what we can project that offense to do in the 2019 season and, and going forward over the next few years, but yeah, I would rather invest – in that versus what we're looking at with Hunter Henry. I mean, assuming Antonio Gates is finally gone, uh, and then we now have, there's not much of a timeshare in terms of targets. I would still rather look at OJ Howard as a, as a value. I don't know from a talent perspective. I think it's somewhat of a wash. I can't really say either way which one is better. Uh, so I'd rather try and be the talent agnostic. I'm just trying to look at what their team situations are when trying to value them. Yeah, and to sum up my long-winded response, I think it's just I want whoever's cheaper of those six to ten guys because, like I said, they're such a jumbled mess, but you do want them. And Brian alluded to tight end premium. You really have to get one of those six to ten guys. I mean, I'm not telling you that you need to go pay up for Kelsey or Ertz because it's going to be extremely hard right now given last season's uh, successes, but – the six to ten guys really do matter. I don't think that teams are going to be very successful much more often with uh, streaming tight ends or just having a, a couple Jimmy Grams. But um, we discussed Howard a little bit. Let's talk about his quarterback. Um, this is going to be our last topic on the cohort report. We've tried to cover uh, pretty much every perspective. Now we've got Jameis Winston. By age 23, he had three top 20 seasons, but he's never been a QB1. Baker Mayfield in his first year finished his QB 20. Uh, we know he missed a couple starts, but he was 23 years old in his first season. So I was wondering, do you feel the years of experience are really relevant towards future QB success? Or would you say that Mayfield at 24 is equally as equipped to succeed as uh, Winston is? Yeah, so, well, first I'll say that I would, if I were going to throw away any section of the cohort report, it would be quarterbacks, because I'm just not sure. I just don't have enough grasp on it the sample size is so small and the talent matters so much and so that's the part where it's just like you know that's there it's it's interesting especially for like age like you know looking at an age 32 guy with a certain number of seasons but man it's just it's really hard to get a handle on but i do think yeah i think somebody who has put together three seasons and is yet to crack the top 12 that's a red flag for me, even if he was doing it at age 21, 22, and 23. It seems like the conventional wisdom, and I don't have any reason to go against it, is that second season for quarterbacks matters a lot. Um, so, you know, you kind of get a pass for your first season, but if you, you if you make that jump in year two, it's a really good sign. If you don't make that jump in year two, it's a really bad sign. So Winston seems like a middle-of-the-road NFL quarterback who's probably going to have a job for a long time as long as it's not based on the off-the-field stuff. 
So in Superflex leagues, he's probably a strong buy because people are just off of him. And if he gets an opportunity to throw the ball all over the field again like he did last year, then he's probably going to get you those top 12 seasons eventually. But Mayfield is priced higher, and rightfully so. In Superflex, I'd probably take Winston at his price, given the choice. I think that brings up at least an excellent point, or I guess an excellent segue into something I wanted to ask both you guys. So now... I wanted to talk to you both real quick and also the folks listening at home about the uh, Dynasty Trade Calculator. I know a number of folks wound up using this uh, quite a bit in order to both assess a player's value, using that in trade negotiations, tiebreakers, all sorts of things. But then the site, not just the calculator itself, but the site also has, uh, they got rankings, they've got articles, I mean, links to podcasts. I mean, so there's a plethora of tools and resources that anybody can use. So if you go to DynastyTradeCalculator.com, I mean, there's plenty of things that you can get into. But, of course, the, the calculator itself is one of the most useful things out there on the Internet that most people can go to as a quick reference to kind of figure out, okay, well, if I'm being offered this in a trade or if I want to look at two players and actually compare them, I mean, what would their value be? And then kind of go from there in terms of assessing how you would go through trade negotiations or things of that nature. So if I were to ask you guys real quick, and I think, Brian, you already alluded to it, if you were to just compare them head-to-head, Baker Mayfield versus Jameis Winston, who do you guys think would be more valuable? Baker. Yeah, Baker. Yeah, like, like almost like two and a half times like more. I think the value for Baker Mayfield right now uh, on the trade calculator is 10.8. Mm-hmm. Jameis Winston, 4.6. Now, Superflex, that's going to be a little bit different, just so people know that. Absolutely. Jameis this is for standard. Yeah, 12 team standard league. But now, if you look at it in Superflex, you're still correct that it's double the value uh, for Baker Mayfield over Jameis Winston. Another guy we talked about earlier that Brian and I like is Devonta Freeman. According to the trade calculator, you would still have three points to spare if you added Jameis Winston and Devonta Freeman in a trade for Baker Mayfield. I think that I would rather Jameis and Devonta Freeman than Baker uh, in Superflex. I'm not even a huge Freeman fan. I'm not even a huge uh, fan of Jameis. I'm kind of fed up with him, honestly, but that seems like good value to me. What do you guys think about that trade? I would take that. Yeah, one of my favorite things to do in Superflex is trade for the, is trade a higher price QB for a lower price QB and another piece. I think people way overestimate the gap between quarterbacks in Superflex. Yeah, I think I would take that same approach as well. I think that's one of the, as you just mentioned, Brian, it's one of the easiest ways to kind of exploit the, I guess, our, I don't know, our over-projection or over, like, a, you know, extra enthusiasm for, for quarterbacks when there there can be at least a, a decent delta with how they uh, how they wind up performing on a week-to-week basis. So it can be very useful, a useful tool for us to, to use uh, going through the season. So, uh, Brian, again, we, we thank you for your time tonight, and uh, I would definitely encourage folks to go out and hit Brian up via PayPal in order to get a copy of the cohort report. Uh, so, Brian, before we let you go, man, definitely, uh, I mean, pimp any other work that you've got going on right now and tell folks where they can get a copy of the cohort report. So you can get a copy of the cohort report. You can download it for free. Um, just find me on Twitter, at Brian Malone FF. You can download it for free and then, you know, contribute whatever you want. I appreciate anything or just, you know, a high-five uh, electronic or in real life if you manage to find me. Uh, and then you can hop over to Dynasty Command Center, which is where 
we do it's not so you know we we do a little bit of writing but it's also just like intensive uh consultation and helping you out with trades and all that stuff it's very one-on-one um attention that you'll get over there yeah i've heard nothing but good things about that um i was a part of the best ball command center which was an offshoot of that with mike beers and joe pano uh so if it's anything like what mike and joe were able to provide over in uh bbcc like last season uh, i would i would wholeheartedly support uh anybody like you know paying the money in order to hop it is it just as is it a slack channel yep it's uh, similar to what yep, we have? same deal okay yeah Absolutely. So definitely hop into that uh, as as soon as possible if you're into Dynasty or even wanting to learn more about Dynasty and get that one-on-one experience. Very, very useful. Cannot cannot say more good things about uh, what at least uh, Ryan or uh, it's Curtis, right? That's uh, yep. doing most. Yeah, Curtis. Uh, yeah, doing some of that. So I think that that is awesome work. And uh, so. Definitely go ahead and do that. So thanks again, Brian, for for coming out. Um, Adam, before we go on here, do we have anything else to to tell the folks? Just remember, T-shirts, New Pod by Brad Reyes and Andrew and Dwight are doing a great job. You can follow me at AP Wilde, W-I-L-D-E. And thanks for listening to the first episode of Season 2. Absolutely. And I'm Chris Allen at Chris Allen FFWX. We thank you guys for listening, and we'll catch you guys next week. 101 pick when it hits you feel no pain praying for the fantasy championship hit the books kid read this pamphlet called the dynasty owner's manual it's automatic dynasty it's automatic owner's manual it's automatic dynasty it's automatic